Oh, so a few few years ago, I was reading uh, an article online, and uh, this article talked about a guy who went to a garage sale, and um, at this garage sale, there was there was a, a bike. So it was a road bike. So if you don't know the difference between a mountain bike and a road bike, it's it's not that important of a difference. But the road bikes are the ones with the skinny tires, and um, it's like the ones that the people who, who do the Tour de France, you know, this big, long bike race. Uh, basically, if anyone does a bike race, they're, they're riding a road bike, a special road bike. Uh, but nonetheless, so he, he saw this road bike there, and um, it had flat tires and broken pedals. And, uh, but it was, it was on sale for, I don't know if it was like $5 or $20. The, the, the exact number escapes me. But it was either 5 or $20. And the guy thought to himself, well, okay, if I, if I just fix up the pedals and maybe get new tires, then, then I'll have a pretty good bike for, for cheap because road bikes are, are generally more expensive than normal bikes. So he bought it. And after he bought it, he realized or he found out that this bike used to belong to a guy named Floyd Landis. Uh, and if you're familiar with the cycling world, Floyd Landis was the arch rival to Lance Armstrong when Lance Armstrong was Lance Armstrong, when he was the best biker cyclist in the world. Uh, so this bike was not actually worth $20, it was worth $8,000. So this guy paid $20 to get a bike that was worth $8,000. Now, now imagine a question. Imagine if this guy only had $20. Do you think he still would have bought the bike? Well, if he knew the value of it, of course he would, right? He would say, I don't have $20, I have $8,000. Because the person who's selling the bike to me, he doesn't know what he's got. And so, of course, I'm happy to, and so maybe to the people around him, it would have looked foolish for him to spend his last $20 on a broken bike that was, to them, worthless. But for him, because he knew what he, well, he didn't know what he was buying, but imagine he knew what he was buying, then it's like, oh, of course, like, this is a no-brainer. Of course, I'm going to spend my last $20 on this bike because if I need to, I can just sell the bike and I can have thousands of dollars. Another, another example, this, this one, uh, for, for some of you farmers, maybe, maybe you understand a little more closely. So imagine one day, however it turns out, you're in somebody's, some stranger's field, right? So maybe your car broke down and you had to walk home and the quickest way is to cut across a field. And I know that's probably a big no-no, but whatever. Just imagine, imagine you're doing this. And as you're walking, you discover somehow that underneath this field is a gravel deposit. What are you going to do? You're going to look around, okay, no one's seeing that I'm walking through this field. You're going to find out who owns the field and you're going to go to the, per the owner and just be like, hey, can I buy your field? What's it, what, what, what's it going to cost? And now imagine he tells you a price that's higher than what you know the land is worth. But he doesn't know that there's a gravel deposit in his field. And so he doesn't actually know the true value of his field. And so you're, you're like, okay, that's, that's expensive. I'm going to have to sell some things to get it. But what do you do? Well, you know that the gravel deposit under your field is worth a boatload of money. And so you're like, okay, let me just go take care of some things, right? So forget about your conscience for a minute. You know, like we can talk about, well, is it ethical to do that? Just forget about that for a minute. You're going to be so happy because you're getting the deal of a lifetime. You're buying a field so that ultimately you can retire right then and there. Or if we were, if we were in North Dakota, we could use a similar example with oil. Right? You're walking through some stranger's field and you, you discover somehow that underneath their field is a, a boatload of oil, which is worth a boatload or 600 boatloads of money. And so out of joy, you're going to do what? You're going to go and sell everything that you have so that you can buy this field. Even if the owner thinks he's knocking the price up, you know that the price he's charging you is not 
it's not comparable to the true value of the field that you're about to buy. Now, maybe, maybe some questions, right? So, so if, if in that situation, you knew that you had to sell your equipment, you knew that you had to sell your house, you, need, you knew that you need to sell whatever so that you could buy this field, there's a question, well, well, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you sell a field that you know there's hidden underneath it a gravel deposit or hidden underneath it oil that's going to satisfy all of your physical needs financially for, for the rest of your life? Why, why wouldn't you sell? And I was trying to think of this. And I think there's, there's some possible answers. You know, like one of the possible answers is, is maybe you're not actually sure that the gravel deposit that you find is, is substantial. And so you're, you're like, gosh, I don't, I don't know, really. I haven't gotten to inspect it myself, maybe. Or the oil that you found. You're not sure if, if it's just like a little puddle of oil that you happen to step in somehow in, the, in a field. Or, gosh, maybe there's more there, but I don't want to take that risk. So maybe you're, you're disbelieving. You're not sure that it's actually worth the value that, that you think it is. That, that's one reason. And so if that's the case, I guess it would make sense. I don't know if I want to sell my stuff because the risk is too big. Maybe for, for some of you, actually, you, you think, well, I, I think I can steal the field somehow. I can either just wait out this guy's life or I can take care of him or, you know, whatever, whatever. Like I, I can do whatever. I, I'm going to find a way to get this field from him without having to sell what I have, finding, finding a, a better way to either just steal it or, or something. That, that's one possible. And again, it's like, okay, well, if, if there's a way to steal it, then sure, it makes sense to not sell everything that you have so that you can, you can get this, this gravel deposit or you can get this, this oil field, whatever. Uh, maybe others actually have some sort of like a, well, I don't, I don't know that I want, I don't know that it's worth it. I have this sentimental attachment to my, my tractor that's been in my family for decades and decades and decades, or, or my house, you know, like this is, this is the house that I grew up in, it's the house of my grandparents, so I don't, I don't think it's worth it for the money. And so, you know, because of my attachment to my stuff, I, you know, it'd be nice if, if I could have that field, but I guess I'd rather have this stuff. And again, if, if that's the case, then it, it makes sense in some ways to not sell your stuff because, I mean, in this example, what's money gonna get you? It's, it's, can't really buy your happiness, even though you could probably, with the money that you're going to make from the field, you could turn around and buy your house right back from the person, right? But he's probably not going to be willing to deal with you after making such a shady deal with you before. Or maybe the last example that I, that I could think of is that you just don't know the value of it, right? So someone maybe could stumble upon a gravel deposit in their field, and they don't actually know that this is worth an amount of money that you could retire on. Or, or you don't know the value of oil, or, or you don't know the value of an $8,000 bike, and so it's just not worth it to you to, to sell out, right? So those, those are possible reasons, but, but if you were to, to have a conversation with someone in that situation, you, you would tell the person, like, no, you don't understand, right? So now, now, now it's not you who's found it, but you're talking, like a friend has come to you and said, hey, I found this field, right? And what would you do to that? You, you would explain to that person, like, no, like, you don't understand the value of of the gravel, you don't understand the value of the oil, you don't understand the value of this bike, like it's, it seems like it's gonna cost you a lot, but, but it's worth it, I promise you, it's worth it, you're gonna tell that person, right? Or, or they don't believe it and you're like, okay, well, let's, let's find a way to, to investigate more. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm sure there's more gravel here than what you're seeing. I'm sure there's more oil here than what you're seeing. And so I wanna, like, I wanna find a way to help you believe, maybe. Or, or like, okay, I understand that you might have this attachment to your stuff, but, but don't you understand, like, you can get the field and then you just turn right back around and you buy your stuff back because that's how much it's worth to you, right? So, so if you're that person, you're gonna do everything you can to convince your friend that this is a worthwhile thing to sell everything for the sake of buying it. Like this is, this is what Jesus is getting at. 
when he says, what? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field, which a person finds and hides again, and out of joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is, of course, exactly what Jesus is talking about. It's like it works out perfectly for, for the place where we live because these are realities that we can see around us, that, that some people find gravel in their fields and it's worth a lot of money. Some people find oil in their fields and it turns out to be worth a ton of money. And so for those people, they're just like, this is incredible. I had this treasure in my field that I didn't even know was there. Now, now of course, Jesus he uses these parables and he wants us to apply them to spiritual realities, to the kingdom of heaven. And so when he's talking about these, he's, he's saying like, yes, this is a reality that you know that, that maybe some of you have, have seen this with your neighbors. Maybe some of you have seen this up close and personal. Now apply that to the kingdom of heaven. What, what, is, what is he doing? He's, he's here to make an offer to us. And this is the thing. Jesus knows what he's offering. And what he's offering is worth far more than an $8,000 bike. What he's offering to us is worth far more than a significant gravel deposit under a field or a significant oil lake under a field. He knows what he's offering. And he offers it anyway. But he tells us, if you want this, you got to sell out for it. You got to be willing to lay aside your preferences. You got to be willing to lay aside your pride. You got to be willing to lay aside everything so that you can buy the kingdom of heaven. And what, is it, what does it take to buy it? Well, it's the very act of selling out, of surrendering to Jesus. Now, what's, what's, what's incredible is, is the deal. It's the offer. Like what, what an incredible deal that he offers us, not just a lifetime. We, we live our lives here on earth, and, and I, I could have brought my rope, I guess, this morning, right? He, he offers us... Not just, not just like 70, 80, 90 years or something like that of, of happiness, but he offers us an eternity of happiness that, that is unending, that is, that is far more happy and joyful than anything we could experience on this earth. Like, it's, it's, there's not a deal that compares to it. There's, there's not anything that can adequately describe the incredible offer that Jesus comes to offer us in, in, in giving us his grace, in giving us new life in him. But what's more incredible is that people are unwilling to take him up on it. What's more incredible is that people are, are unwilling to keep his commands. This is what I was, I was one of those things I was thinking about in our psalm response. <laughs> Lord, I love your commands. And I was just thinking, how many people, are, as we're saying this, are just lying? Lord, I love your commands. Do we love his commands? I don't, I don't know. And, and maybe, maybe I'm just misperceiving things completely. But I know that one of the Lord's commands is to repent, and I know that not many people repent. I know that one of the Lord's commands is to deny yourself, and I know that lots of people, including myself, struggle to deny ourselves and don't really desire it. I know that, I know that one of the Lord's commands is that we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood, and I know there's plenty of people that don't do that. That we need to worship him, and, and, you know, like, and, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a little too sharp right now. Um, the Lord offers us this, and, and it just causes me to wonder why don't more people sell out for it? Why don't more people eagerly run to confession? Why don't more people eagerly change their lives, change their behavior, change their thoughts and their words so that they can receive Holy Communion in a state of grace? 
Why don't more people, like why, why isn't it every weekend standing room only at St. Francis Xavier Church? And again, I think we could go back to these same reasons of, of why people wouldn't sell out for the, the sake of the field. I think maybe people don't believe it. People don't really believe that heaven is more incredible than what we can experience on this earth. Maybe, maybe more, many people don't really believe in heaven. Like if push comes to shove, they, they say that they do because it brings them comfort knowing that, that when they die, maybe they'll go to a better place. But, but when push comes to shove again, it's like, I don't really know that I believe that, that there is life after death. I don't really know that I believe that, that the life after death is actually better than this. Maybe that's the case. And so because of that, again, if, if you don't believe it, it makes sense that you wouldn't sell out for it. I think there's actually another reason, and that other reason is something that has infiltrated Christians across the board, whether Catholic or not Catholic. And that other reason is that a lot of people think they can just steal it. This mentality that like, well, everyone goes to heaven as long as you're not Hitler. And we've, we've been hearing for the last three weeks now, Jesus speaking in parables about what? And I talked about this last week. The parables, largely speaking, talk about judgment. And talk about within that judgment that the Lord is going to bring to us, that not everybody gets in. In fact, this was, this was the second part of our gospel passage where he talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea, which collects fish of every kind. And when it is full, they haul it ashore and sit down to put what is good into buckets. What is bad, they throw away. Thus, it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Jesus is very clear about this, that, that nobody can steal heaven. That we, we actually can't hold to this mentality that, that, like I said, is across the board. We can't hold to this mentality that everybody goes to heaven and so I don't need to sell out. No, he's very clear that when you find the treasure, you've got to sell out for it. And so that, that one, is, and we see this throughout the Gospels, and, and I talk about this all the time, maybe too much, you know, but, but whatever, like this is a real thing. The Lord's judgment is real. And so if you're one of these people that like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. I want to tell you that it does. And it's not, who cares what I think? Jesus tells you that it does. We have to repent. We have to follow his commands. We have to study his word. This is what he says uh, when he says, Then every scribe trained, instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings from his storeroom both the new and the old. He's talking about the scriptures here. He doesn't, he doesn't know, or the New Testament hasn't been written yet, but he surely is here to establish a new covenant. And in establishing the new covenant, he wants us also to take advantage of, of the wisdom of the old so, so to study scripture so that we don't have to be like biblical scholars, but, but to be familiar with the word of God so that, again, we can be instructed in the kingdom of heaven. Maybe some of us have sentimental attachments to certain things in our lives that, again, I, I don't want to give those up. Certain sinful actions or sinful dispositions or, or certain things that if, if I really am going to go for it, if I'm really going to live the Christian life and follow the Lord's commands, that means I have to let go of this particular, particular sin or I have to let go of this particular political point of view or I have to let go of this particular attachment that I have in my life and gosh, I just don't think it's going to be worth it to give this up and I'd rather cling to this than cling to this. And if that's you, I just I want to encourage you let go. Just let go of it. 
Let go of it. Maybe some of us, again, we, we don't actually know the value of the kingdom. And for you, then, I just I can't encourage you enough to pray and ask the Lord. He's, he said this throughout our parables as we've been reading them the last three weeks. He says, whoever has ears ought to hear. Whoever has ears ought to hear. This is one of my prayers every single day. Jesus, give me ears to hear. Give me eyes to see. Not as, as the world sees, not as the world hears, but as you, Jesus, want me to hear. This is my prayer because I know that my ears are not prone to hearing. My eyes are not prone to seeing. And so I need him to give me his grace, to open my ears so that I can hear his voice, to open my eyes so that I can see him calling to me, trusting that the kingdom of heaven is worth it. And this is, like, this is the thing. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where any of you are at, and I know that some of you have heard this. Some of you are, are right on board with me and thinking like, yes, we got to sell out. We got to sell out. We got to sell out. I know that some of you are, are way over here and you're just thinking, no, 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 no. Don't tell me, Father. And I know that some of you maybe are right in between and you're just not sure what to think because as I've mentioned before, maybe, maybe different priests throughout, throughout the past, and again, I don't, I don't necessarily know. Maybe different priests throughout the past have told you that it's okay that you don't go to confession. Maybe other priests have told you that it's okay that you don't come to Mass every week. I know maybe other priests have told you that you don't really need to buy, read the Bible. I, I release you from all of those things because none of those things are true. None of them. The Bible is clear about this. The church's doctrine is clear about this. That to receive the inheritance of the kingdom, we got to sell out for it. Part of it, maybe sure, is selling out because I'm afraid of hell, as we say in the, 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 the act of contrition. But the greater thing, and this is the greater thing, and this is the thing that, that, that I, I really want to press home, and, and I know I could do a better job of it. It's like, it's not so much that we're afraid of this, it's that the offer is so darn good. The offer is too good to be true, and you're not going to find another offer like it. So don't just repent because you're afraid of sins, but repent because God is so good and we just want to love him because he loves us so much.